All right. Thank you, everyone. For I don't know if I should be um, flattered or appalled, but uh, thank you for your compliments. Um, yeah. Good morning, everyone. Still morning. So uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is David. You probably don't see me uh, stand here at the podium very often, um, but I'm usually standing on that side over there uh, leading worship. And uh, that's because I'm the worship pastor here at New Philadelphia Church. And it's truly an honor and a privilege every time I get to uh, preach the word. Um, yeah, and this is actually, um, it's been a while since I've preached, actually. It's been almost seven months, I think. Uh, the last time I preached was in June of last year. Um, during Father's Day, so that was almost seven months ago, a long time ago, um, and it's truly a huge blessing every time I get to preach, but the sad news is um, that today is actually my uh, official last day as a pastor here in New Philly, uh, which also means that this will be the last message I get to give, um, and honestly, I can't decide whether uh, to be happy or sad or sadly happy or happily sad. Um, But the good news is that while it is my last Sunday as a pastor, um, I'm struggling here with this Bible, sorry. Um, It's my last Sunday as a pastor, but it's not our last Sunday uh, attending. Um, We'll still uh, attending. Um, We'll still be uh, around until March, my family and I. Um, uh, again, this is pending our visa situation. We're still waiting on some stuff to happen. Um, but our aim is to head back to America in March. Um, so it is not our last Sunday. And hopefully within the next month, we're able to meet together again and to see everyone's beautiful faces um, before we leave. But um, I just want to go into my last message um, because uh, it is my last message that I'll give to you as a pastor. Um, and honestly, uh, I, I kind of want to start by uh, giving you an insight into the process of what it was like this week. It was actually pretty difficult for me. Um, actually, sermon prep in general for me is, is difficult because it's not very common. Again, I told you that it's not something that I do every week. Um, it's something that I do like two, three times a year, maybe at most. Um, so but on top of the difficulty of preparing for a sermon, there were so many things that um, were distractions and so many things that uh, made it difficult for me to sermon prep. Uh, one of those things is actually my son. He's so cute and he's such a good distraction to have, but it just made it much more difficult to sermon prep. But other things like um, I got into a fight with uh, Pastor JP this week and uh, my wife this week and uh, yesterday my computer broke and all these things happened. Um, but it was kind of ironic because the thing that I want to talk about today is uh, suffering. (laughs) What a final message, right? Um, But you may have heard the phrase, count your blessings, but today I'm going to tell you to do something else. And that thing is to count your sufferings. Count your sufferings. And that's the title of my sermon today, if you're taking notes. Count your sufferings. Uh, I want us to open up to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. We're going to be reading from verses 3 to 9. First uh, Peter chapter one verses three to nine. But um, while you're there, you can. Um, we're also going to read from James one two to four. And uh, luckily for us, those books are right next to each other. Um, so let's read from First Peter one three to nine first. Yep. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's also flip to James 1, verses 2 to 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Um, When we get to the end of something, it's only natural that we look back and observe and to judge how we got to where we are. And as my time as a pastor in New Philly is coming to a close, it was only natural for me to look back at the time that I've had here. Um, And not only for me as a pastor, but for my family, uh, for my wife, and even for my son. It was only natural for me to look back at how we got to this point. And many people believe this about me. I'm surprised actually this didn't come up earlier. Um, When it comes to emotions or reactions, uh, a lot of people say that I'm stoic, very stoic. Um, That's just a nice way of saying, hey, you're a statue. Like You you don't react to many things. Um, But it just means that a lot of people have observed that I don't get too overwhelmed or overly excited about many things. And even in high-stress situations that I don't get too frazzled or like too anxious or react too much. And for me, it takes me some time to look back and realize, oh, that, that was a sucky situation or that was a really stressful situation. But looking back at the five years my wife and I have been in Korea... If I were to be honest, I would say that we experienced a lot of suffering. My wife and I were placed in many difficult situations. Going back to even when, uh, before we came to Korea five years ago, the events leading up to our move to Korea were very difficult, which made our first year of marriage very difficult. Um, And it wasn't due to the fact that our relationship was difficult that made our marriage difficult. It was actually because of the circumstances surrounding us and the events that occurred in our first year of marriage that made our first year of marriage very difficult. We got married on May 2nd, 2015. So we're approaching uh, six years now this year. Um, And it was a very happy occasion, of course. Nothing difficult or sad or uh, hard about that day. I mean, there were many tears, uh, happy tears on my end, of course. I cried like a baby that day. Um, But there is a whole story behind that, but I won't go into that. I think I've already shared that with many people before. Um, But our wedding day was very joyful. And um, no one could have guessed, neither one of us could have guessed that 
shortly after our wedding, four months after our wedding, at the end of August, we would get a phone call from Korea saying that Sajung's father had passed away. Sorry. Or that um, three months after her dad's passing, we would be packing all our things and moving back to Korea. We would be leaving family and friends that we've established in America and moving to Korea of that year. Or that when we got to Korea, that we would be facing uh, financial instability. Um, I think I think my wife knew all along because she was marrying someone that wanted to become a pastor. So I think she knew that um, she would face financial instability, but I had no idea. And um, my wife is much smarter than me. Um, but I had no idea that we would be stepping into uh, a tough situation that my wife would have to look for a job for months on end before she finally landed a job, and that my situation as a support-raising intern pastor at New Philly would um, not provide enough money for me for us to survive, and we would have to think about paying the ne- how, how we would pay the next month's rent. And we also had no idea that when we got here, uh, Sojung's mom, uh, we love her so much, um, but she would be uh, very overbearing and overcaring um, as much as many uh, Korean parents are, uh, we had no idea that she wouldn't be able to understand that her daughter had grown up to be an adult and that um, we were actually quite content despite our financial situation. Again, I think Sajang had more of an idea of what to expect with her mom, but I had no idea. And all, these, these are all the things that we faced just in the first year of our marriage and our, and our first year in Korea. And I can go on and on and list all the things that, uh, that we've faced in the last five years, but I feel like it would just bore you or it would desensitize you. And that's not the point of why I'm sharing these things. It's, to, it's not actually to beg for your sympathy either. It's, it's to show you the point that I've counted the cost. I've counted the sufferings. But why? Why would I do this? Is this so that I can cry in front of you like this? No, it's um, why should Christians, why should we as Christians count our sufferings? The first point of my sermon today is that we should count your sufferings to test your faith. Count your sufferings to test your faith. 1 Peter 1, 6-7, I want to read it again. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The tested genuineness of your faith. And again in James 1, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. One thing the Bible clearly says that we cannot say about suffering and trials are that they are random and they have no purpose. Peter and James clearly tell us that for the follower of Christ, suffering has a clear purpose. But what is that purpose? The purpose of suffering is the testing of your faith. What does this mean? Why does God want to test our faith? Peter tells us that God is looking for two things. 
He says, Let the tested genuineness of your faith be more precious than gold that perishes through it, it uh, though it is tested by fire. You see, when gold is put in fire, it is being tested for two reasons. The first is to identify authenticity. And the second is to eliminate impurity. A goldsmith wants to see if a, if a piece of metal is authentic because, because if it's not gold, if it's not the, the object that he wants it to be, then it's worthless. He also puts it in the fire to get rid of impurities because the less impurities there are, the more precious that gold is. In the same way, God is trying to sanctify you through suffering. And these two things, authenticity and elimination of impurity, these go hand in hand. If that piece of gold is not authentic, there's no, there's no need to get rid of the impurities because it, it's worthless, right? But if it is authentic, you want to purify it as much as you can to make it even more valuable. It's the same with our faith. If the faith isn't real, you don't need to sanctify it. What is faith if what is sanctification if there is no faith? But if it is real, if it is authentic, then it will be more precious and holy because of the suffering. And that's something that I had to painfully witness here and learn in Korea. See, one of the hard things I had to personally witness and experience as a pastor at New Philly, and I think uh, many people that have stuck around the staff and my wife would attest to this, was having to experience so many times our friends leaving Korea. And this is very ironic because we're the ones leaving Korea now. But my, my wife used to say that the airport was a happy place. She would love to go there because it usually meant one of two things. It meant she was either going on a trip or she's coming back from a trip. But now it's actually a very sad place for us because we've had to say so many goodbyes at the airport and it's not such a happy thing to do. But even more than the difficulty of seeing a friend leave Korea were those people that left the faith. I think it was harder for me to witness and harder, even harder for me to understand you see, when our church went through the shaking and difficult time in 2018, it made many people question not only their calling, but their faith in God. And these were the same people that were planning churches and discipling college students, and they were leaders at our church. But the shaking came, and there were a few that were shook. I believe it was a God-ordained time and that it didn't happen randomly again. That everyone was and is on their own timeline and that there is always hope that they'll return to Christ. But the faith was being tested. But on the flip side of that difficult time in our church were those that came out of it with a renewed and stronger faith in Jesus. Again, everyone had their own timeline and seasons of grieving, but they came out of that season of grieving with a faith that is more precious than gold. You see, gold, even though it can be refined in the fire, it's one of the most precious elements because it lasts so long. Gold will eventually disappear, but 
genuine faith that is steadfast, that is not lacking, will last forever. So that's the first reason why we should count our sufferings, is to test our faith, to realize that our faith is being tested for our sanctification. The second reason why we should count our sufferings is to grieve. Count your sufferings to grieve. First Peter 1.6 says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. This seems like a throwaway, throwaway line in the text. It's kind of like he just inserted there just to make sure he's covering all bases. But this is actually the part of the verse that stood out to me the most. You have been grieved by various trials. The NIV says, You may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. One of the biggest misunderstandings of the Christian faith, even among Christians themselves, is that if you're a mature believer, if you have a strong faith in Jesus, then there should be no reason for you to grieve. What a lie. (laughs) Grieving is for those weak Christians who have weak faith. But Peter is telling us otherwise. He's laying a provision for us that grieving can and should be part of the process. God not only has a purpose for our trials, but He has a purpose for our grief in those trials. And we can most clearly see this in John 11, uh, specifically in verse 35. If, if you have this verse memorized, good for you. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, in the English translation. It goes like this. Ready? Jesus wept. John 11.35 says, Jesus wept. Why would the Son of God, who is probably the most mature believer, right? He's the, he's the founder of the faith. Why would the Son of God weep? If we look at the context of John 11, we can get a clearer picture. Jesus had just lost a close friend of his, Lazarus, and he had just witnessed Lazarus' two sisters, Mary and Martha, weeping. And the people there, they were at the gravesite, they were weeping as well. John 11.33 says, He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And after those that were there took Jesus to the gravesite, it says, Jesus wept. And after seeing Jesus weep, the crowd there was amazed and they exclaimed, See how he loved him. See how he loved him. Why did Jesus weep? Because he loved him. It shows that compassion and empathy are vital to our faith. It shows that suffering and grief, it comes from a place of love. Jesus wasn't just a robot who came to this earth to perform miracles. He wasn't just someone that was like a genie that didn't have any emotions, that granted your wish, right? He was a person who came to show us what true love looks like. And his grieving shows that he cared. In the same way, we as Christians are not called to go through suffering as robots. We're not called to squash our emotions. Your emotions exist whether you acknowledge them or not. And we also shouldn't expect to be like Superman and act like these bullets will bounce off our chest. I mentioned earlier that I am a slow processor, or or I was a slow processor of emotions. Um, It doesn't seem like it right now because my nose is like a faucet. But 
especially during stress and anxiety, I feel like the one area I grew a lot in these past five years is in the grieving department. And that sounds, sounds like such a, a silly thing to say, but I feel like it is true. And the reason why I feel like uh, I didn't grieve well, even in the hard times, was that I didn't want to think about how difficult it was. I didn't want to feel those feels. I didn't want to feel anxious. I didn't want to feel stressed. I didn't want to feel sad. I would not only ignore my own feelings toward what was happening, but try to put it off as long as I could. But what ended up happening usually, um, and actually the, the thing that fed into this idea even more was the idea that Christians should be joyful all the time. Christians, oh yeah, if you're a Christian, you don't need to be sad. You have joy. Verses like 1 Thessalonians 5.16, another great memory verse, rejoice always. So there's no room for grief. But in my five years as a pastor here, and especially in the last two years, I feel like my grieving process has sped up. It doesn't take me a million years to realize that, dang, this, this is a sucky situation. This, this is a sad situation. And I think one of the biggest reasons why is because of marriage counseling. So uh, my wife and I, we went to marriage counseling uh, about a year and a half ago. No, it was almost two years ago now. Um, but our first year of marriage is kind of ironic. Our first year of marriage wasn't hard because of our relationship. But the last two years, they were hard because of our relationship. And I feel like the catalyst, and my wife will attest to this, the catalyst was marriage counseling. You see, before marriage counseling, um, I would suppress my emotions. I would put off my emotions and not deal with them until they exploded. But after marriage counseling, the, the counselor told, the, told me specifically that I should share when I feel frustrated. I should share when I feel sad. I should share uh, when I am feeling down. And this actually caused more uh, trouble in our relationship. But in the end, I feel like our relationship now is better than it was before. Because I am more in tune with my emotions, I can explain um, to my wife, what I'm really feeling. And one of the other major reasons why I feel like my grieving process has sped up is out of necessity. Um, in the past two years especially, I've witnessed so much grief in our community. We've had to watch, again, our friends walk away from our church again and again. We've had to say goodbye to our close friends. We've had to go to many funerals, especially in the past year, of lost friends, of lost parents, of lost grandparents. But God has been teaching me through these times how to weep with those who are weeping. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 1 that God is the God of all comfort and that we are comforted in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Grieving shows the depth of our suffering and adds to the meaning of it. It shows that we actually care. But grief isn't the fruit of our suffering. It's not where we should land or where we should stay at. It's not where we should wallow in. We shouldn't wallow in grief forever. The end result of our suffering is blessing. So my last point of today, of the sermon, we should count 
our sufferings to count our blessings. There's a famous Russian writer and philosopher uh, named Fyodor Dostoevsky. He wrote uh, The Brothers Kazimov and Crime and Punishment. Um, But he actually has a quote that goes like this. The darker the night, the brighter the stars. The deeper the grief, the closer is God. What Dostoevsky uh, is saying, it's a hard time saying that, Dostoevsky, um, he's essentially saying that without the backdrop of suffering, without the backdrop of the darkness of suffering, we won't be able to see the light of the blessings. We appreciate the good times more when we go through bad times. But the Bible tells us something else, actually. It actually takes it one step further. The Bible tells us that the sufferings themselves should be considered blessings. James 1, again, says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We've stated that suffering result, results in authenticity and purity, but it also cultivates blessings in the form of joy and glory. And this is where we derive our hope from. You see, the people that James and Peter and, and even Paul, the New Testament writers, are writing to are, are people that are facing intense pressure and immense persecution for their faith. And even though it's a terrible situation, even though they are grieving, their source of hope and joy comes from knowing that their inheritance is from a living hope, Jesus Christ, who died for their sins, who was risen by the Spirit of God, that we might be brought into the family of God and be called sons of the living God, which guarantees our inheritance. But what is that inheritance? Let's read First Peter again, 3-4. to four. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So the inheritance, He doesn't actually describe what it is, but He describes what it's not. It's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. James 1 says, if you read later in, in the chapter of verse one, uh, chapter one, verse twelve says this. It says, "Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love Him." You see, the the man who remains steadfast is blessed because he will receive a crown of life. The inheritance that we have is the crown of life, everlasting life, to know God, to be with Him, to dwell with Him. That's the inheritance that we have in heaven. And for this reason, we're blessed. The Greek word for blessed in James 1 verse uh, 12 is makarios, makarios, sorry, makarios, which means blessed or happy. And it's the same word that we find in the Beatitudes. We've been um, going through the Beatitudes as a church this past two uh, house church seasons. But it's the same blessed, makarios, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for there is the, the kingdom of heaven. Another translation uh, says, happy, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who are persecuted for his name's sake. And the Old Testament Hebrew equivalent to this can be found in Psalm 1. Oh, share. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. So this word, osher, means blessed or happy. Many people actually ask us, uh, my wife and I, how we chose the name for our son, Asher. And I feel like the meaning is very prophetic. Uh, I feel like it's very God-given. Um, because at the time, we didn't put much weight or thought into the meaning of the name. We just chose the name because we thought it was cool. Um, my wife read the name Asher in the Bible, and she was like, Oh, that sounds like a cool name. What do you think? And I was like, Oh, yeah, that sounds cool. And without giving too much thought about what it meant, we, we went with it, Asher. And picking his Korean name was actually even worse because uh, we wanted to pick a name that sounded good, and we were going to give meaning to it after uh, we picked the name. So we actually came up with Sonu first. And then because in uh, Korean Hancha, like you can choose many different names for the same character, uh, we ended up going with, uh, for the Han, it means uh, like a lot of something or great. Um, so like Man or Son, not like garlic, but Manta, Man or Son. And then for U, we went with help. So Son U means great help. Um, and so his whole name, Asher, happy or blessed, because Sun, uh, great, U, uh, help. And then we kind of cheated with the last one, uh, Ha, show for Hananim, so God is. So in altogether it means blessed because God is our great help, or we're happy because God has helped us greatly. And we had no idea at the time, of course, that... Um, it would turn out to be this way until we actually came up with the meaning. Um, but we feel like it is a reminder of our time, a reminder for our time in Korea. And I believe that even when we didn't know the meaning behind the name, God knew all along. You see, when I look back on our journey here the last five years in Korea, there has been a lot of suffering. We've been tested. There's been a lot of grieving. We've been through the fire. But there has been so much blessing as well. We've experienced God's goodness and faithfulness, not in spite of our suffering, but because of our suffering. When we weren't sure how to pay the next month's rent, God provided by allowing someone to, uh, uh, to support me a whole year's worth of support instead of just paying month by month. So we had enough money. We've made friendships through the suffering that we've gone through. A lot of times, I feel like because of the suffering that we've gone through together, we've gone become stronger. Um, a silly example of this is um, recently, Pastor JP and I were very good friends, um, but we were never roommates before. And because we're wrapping up our stuff here in Korea, we had the privilege of becoming roommates for the first time. And um, uh, it wasn't easy. <laughs> It wasn't easy. We had uh, our... It was almost like getting married, actually. When you get married married, and you start living with someone, it's actually much different when you're dating them and you don't have to see them every day. You don't have to like wake up with them uh, in the same household. But we went through a kind of like a confrontation together. 
and we aired uh, our grievances out. And I feel like because we went through that friction, because we went through that suffering together, we came out of our relationship stronger than before. And honestly, I consider him a brother um, that, yeah, I love very much. So there has been so much blessing here in Korea. Our suffering, our trials, even the things that we thought were meant for evil, God ultimately turned it for good. And as we look to the greatest suffering that any person can go through, as we look at what Jesus did on that cross, bearing the weight of the world, bearing the weight of sin, bearing the weight of shame, we can realize that our God is a God that understands, understands suffering, understands pain. And He's not abandoning you. He's with you. He's for you. And as the psalmist says in Psalm 73, verse 26, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you for the gift of suffering. Thank you for allowing us to know that you have gone through it as well. That you have been tempted in every way so that you would know what it is to suffer, so that you can empathize with us, so that you can know and be with us in our suffering. And Father, as I look back on the five years um, that we've been in Korea, and as this season comes to an end, I pray, Lord, that the sufferings would be seen as blessings, God that my relationship with you, my relationship with people, that our church, as we went through suffering together, came out of it with a faith that has been tested, a faith that has grown, that has been sanctified, that has been made pure and holy. Father, let us not squash or minimize or set aside the sufferings that we've gone through. Help us to see them in the light of your hope, of your grace, of your mercy, God. And as we grow in the knowledge of of your sacrifice, as we grow in the knowledge of the grace that you have for us, even in the midst of our suffering, God, help us to rejoice. Help us to give thanks. Help us to love you, God. Help us to sing songs of joy to you, God. Father, let us worship you from a place, from a complete picture, God, from our mind as well as our heart, as well as our soul, God. Let us worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you once again, Lord for the story that you're writing. We pray all this in Jesus' name.